Bishop Earl and I finish our discussion of the books Secrets and Wives next on Polygamy. What love is this? Last time we began a discussion of a book written about some of the Utah polygamy groups. We were unable to finish because there was too much to talk about in the book, and so we wanted to finish it this time. The book is entitled Secrets and Wives, The Hidden World of Mormon Polygamy, and of course the book cover and the author's name is on the screen, and like I said last time, I won't pretend that I can pronounce his last name. But he did a very good job of looking at the polygamy the way it is lived in Utah and writing about it and recording what he found out. So we're going to continue with our discussion. We were talking about the Kingston Polygamy Group. Now many people uh, will cringe at the word fanatical, which this author used in describing some Mormon fundamentalist polygamists, but fanatical is actually a true description yeah. of them, yes. and the Kingston group is certainly no exception. After Eldon Kingston died, and we talked about Eldon Kingston in part one, his brother, uh, whose name was Ortel, took the leadership of the group, and he writes that Eldon may have built the foundation of the group, but Ortel built the empire. And that also is true, we he quote. He takes credit for that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> he, Ortel, was a Stalin to Eldon's Lenin. He casts a longer shadow. He was a famously tight-fisted man. He once boasted that he wore the same black shirt every day for over a year. His was the economy of miserliness, child labor, pitiful wages, and the sacrifice of order mothers struggling to raise their teeming broods on a shoestring. It was under Ortel that the Kingstons developed a reputation for dumpster diving. And we've talked with wives that, talked on the show who, who have talked about dumpster diving to get their meals, yeah. their food. Well, Ortel's wife was, his first wife was his niece. His second wife was LaDonna Peterson, who took the position of first wife and was actually his legal wife. And she was the true controlling matriarch. He would usually spend five days of the week with LaDonna and then divide the rest of, of the week, the two days on the weekend, with his other 12 wives. Oh, gosh. Now that's, that's love, love divided, isn't <laughs> it? it? Is. <laughs> love multiplied. Um, Ortel hardly knew all of his children, of course, That's and he never publicly acknowledged them, and that just doesn't happen in the Kingston group. To his children, he was mostly just their brutal disciplinarian. He pretended to be an expert when it came to beating up kids. One technique, which we've talked about before on our programs, is to slap babies repeatedly in the face until they stop crying. This would leave them swollen and bruised so they couldn't be taken out in public. Ortel taught that it was important for parents to start doing this from birth. And doing and, and, and so doing that, bad habits won't creep in. And mothers who did this child abuse would be rewarded with two-year-old children who were obedient. Mostly beat down, not yeah. obedient. Yeah. Well, the events that led to Ortel's death in 1987 is shocking and morbid, and just more proof that the fanaticism of this polygamy cult is stranger than any fiction the best writer could write. The details are written on page 159 through 161 of the book, and of course we can't retell it all here, but some of the information is worth mentioning. 
Ortel would regularly go on 42 days of fasting without food. Mm -hmm. and, and they do that in the Kingston group. They still do it. And they figure, well, if Jesus fasted for 40 days, then they we must have 42. to do it too. Yeah. And, and they believe it helps with their health and all of that. But, you know, it just starves them to death is all it does. And he had a tumor. There's a lot of cancer runs in the Kingston family. And he had a tumor. And he believed that fasting would starve the tumor and kill it. Wow. But in August of 1987, he fasted for the last time. <laughs> the word was spread among the group that their faithful leader was dying. Now, faithful, fanatical elders of the church were certain that he would never die. They had been told that Artel would choose when he died, and that if he wanted to or chose to, he would live forever. Some of them believed that he wouldn't just die, but that Joseph Smith would come and escort him to the other side. Why is it always Joseph Smith and never Jesus with these people? It was pretty devastating to many true believers when this did not happen. One of his sons, who just happens to be my cousin and who had been terribly abused as a child through Ortel's cruel discipline, explains the death scene like this. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing, really. He found a disturbing scene, a shriveled old man laying naked on the bed, bony and wasting away. He just lay there on his back in silence. Around him were several other sons and other elders. He took it in shift, they took it in shifts to care for him, desperately trying to keep him alive. We dropped grape juice in, into his mouth with the straw. We broke slivers of dates up into pieces no bigger than a match head to feed him, but his body just couldn't take it. We watched him die for two weeks. At one point, Merlin decided that the way to revive him was to rustle up breast milk from lactating order mothers and give him an enema with the stuff. Perhaps that way he would gain the strength to eat. Did we mention the word fanaticism? <laughs> LaDonna, his wife, stopped that and said, just let him die in peace. Yeah. And on August 25th of 1987, he died. However, it's doubtful that he died in peace, and he immediately met the God he denied. Paul Kingston, one of his sons, whom he had been grooming for this position, was now the leader and prophet of the Kingston Polygamy Group. And the abuses and empire building has not stopped under Paul's leadership, instead has progressed very steadily. Now, the author gives interesting and sometimes previously unpublicized information about the inner workings of the Kingston Polygamy Group. For instance, their philosophy is that children are equal to cash, assets. We quote. Yeah, this is page 164. Ortel told her that the kids are like money. The ones that are in school are like putting money in the bank. They grow and learn. It's like getting interest. And when they're finished, they could do more for the order. But sometimes you need cash. So some of the kids have to be used right now. Well, that's nice to know, isn't <laughs> it? But just put, yeah, and the wives are just like commodity too. I mean, it's just, it's, it's horrible. Of course, order members are taught that cash is bad. <laughs> we were taught that, I'm telling cash you. Cash is bad. Cash is bad. Money's bad. And yet they scramble to obtain all the money they can get. Um, and they hold that money is extremely important to the very life of the group itself. In the Kingston group, money is measured in units. One unit equals one dollar. But they're, in their language, units are holy, but dollars are not holy. 
Units can be taken to heaven, but dollars cannot be taken to heaven. In fact, units can purchase your ticket into heaven. Oh, my goodness. Dollars are converted to units when the money is consecrated for use in the group and by the group. In other words, dollars are spiritually cleansed only when they're turned into the order and become units. To keep your membership, you are required to keep money in your account, units in your account. And if someone leaves and takes all their units or money, they have lost any chance for salvation. In fact, if somebody is thinking of leaving or planning on leaving or on the way out, they are cautioned to keep at least $1 or $5 in their account. And if they don't, the door to heaven slams shut in their faces. That's true. This oh is true. One of their many strange ideas is that every star in the sky represents an earth or solar system governed by a worthy man who through good works, testings, and exaltations earned his godhood and was rewarded with solar systems or an earth like us, planets like us. They believe that these gods are all polygamous and each god received as many planets as he had wives. We were taught that each God has another God above him, which is repeated back through eternity past. Each God has authority over lower gods. If any God makes a bad choice or commits a sin, he loses his planet, <laughs> his family, and his exaltation and falls into perdition. We quote. So, page 166, he says, So when you see a shooting star, that's a world that failed and the gods destroyed it. And the only reason this earth hasn't been destroyed is because we have this small remnant of the true blood of Israel left. So long as the order survives, God will preserve the earth. Now, isn't that self-serving? A little proud. <laughs> wow, it's, it's awful and it's so wrong. Many members believe that the only reason the earth exists is because of the Kingston polygamy group. Most people don't realize the impact that polygamists have in the Intermountain West, especially in the state of Utah. There are a lot of polygamists here, and we can't actually can't know for sure how many there really are. Here is a previous member's statement about their population growth. They want to control the world, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's what they're trying to do, and they're doing it by breeding. In 20 years, you're not going to know who's a Kingston and who isn't. Well... It's the numbers that they worry about. And we've talked a little bit about this particular part of his book in, in yeah. the previous shows, but we're going to talk about it again because he, he outlines it so well. He, he, he mentions the seven Kingston brothers who are the sons of Wardell's favorite wife, LaDonna. We talked about her. And between them, at this time in 2011, they had over 650 children. That's shocking. Yeah. Well, they have more than that now because that was seven years ago. But 650 children yeah, among seven men. Among seven men. Well, it's well over that now. It's probably over a 1,000 now. Oh, gosh. Um, but anyway, he said if just half of their kids keep breeding at the same rate, they would, there would be about 90 children each. That's nearly 30,000 children in one generation. And if half of those 30,000 children has 90 children each, that's nearly one and a half million. Wow. In the order, a generation is just 20 years, and these figures represent the breeding by only seven brothers. These numbers are from 2011 when this book was published, and it is seven years later, so there are hundreds more children from these seven brothers. 
So the numbers, the total numbers would be different. But there are dozens of polygamous men breeding like this in the Kingston group. Oh One person said they are breeding themselves into political power. The order always votes as a block. Soon they'll have enough to sway the statewide elections. And they have actually had people running for office, too. I know about some of that. But the author dedicates much space, a lot of space in his book about the Kingston's groups. But then he does more than any of the other polygamy groups, actually. But there seems to be much more to write about for the Kingstons. And they found a family who was willing to answer some of their questions. Uh, one of the, of the, in this family, the father is one of Ortel's many sons, and he has a lot of bad memories of his abusive treatment while he was still part of the group. We want to quote one of them. I remember as a kid reading about slave owners in the South, how they'd have children with some of their slaves, then bring those kids in to be slaves in their houses. And that was hard for me to imagine. How could a father do that? But that was exactly what Ortel did. He had his favorite family. He had other families that he knew would be their servants. That's right. <laughs> they just commodity all the way, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the beginning of the next chapter is on page 133 of the book, and it opens with a quote by William Faulkner, which I believe describes polygamy groups precisely. <laughs> this is what he quoted. Very insightful here. No man can cause more grief than that one clinging blindly to the vices of his ancestors. Ooh, that's so true, especially with Mormonism and all that they brought out from the early Mormon church. That's why the history is so important to keep the truth of the history of the Mormon church before our eyes. I really believe that. And it's so true, especially as it's applied to the polygamy groups as well. The grief that polygamous families, children and mothers and young girls experience because they are blindly clinging to the vices of Joseph Smith. And they made it much worse by claiming Joseph Smith's vices were commands from God. It is true how Mormonism as a whole deeply reveres their polygamist heritage and ancestors. And the fruits of that today are Warren Jeffs, the Kingstons, and all the others who are forced by doctrine, women and children, forcing them into polygamy. And one of those griefs he now did begins to discuss is incest in the Kingston group. We quote, Today there's so much incest going on in the order that the family trees contort like grapevines wrapping around each other. From the cult's inception, incest has been one of its greatest stigmas and weaknesses, particularly in terms of the risk of prosecution. But the order shows no sign of phasing it out, quite the opposite. Incest is on the rise. Ortel's children, the seven brothers, are all keen practitioners. Paul has married at least three of his half-sisters. His brother Daniel has married four. David has notched up several nieces and half-sisters, as, as has Jesse. And Porno Joe married his aunt. I guess there's a story there. There's, a, there's a story there. We don't have time to talk about that one either. <laughs> Of course, the Utah State Attorney General's office has been aware of this incest all this time, but there has been no prosecution over the years. In his interview with a propaganda spokesperson that he asked her about this incest between brothers and sisters, after much prevarication, he finally got her to say that if they are consenting adults, the law should not regulate brothers and sisters getting married. They should not be prosecuted. 
And so, as with everything else, because the Kingstons don't agree with the law, they just ignore it and do whatever they want. And they don't seem to fear or respect the rule of law at all. Hmm. He asked her about the dangers of genetic mutation through incest, and she stated that that was merely an exaggeration by the media. <laughs> well, like we said, she's just one of their propaganda ministers designing her answers to make the Kingston polygamy group look better than it is. But the dangers of mutation because of incest is scientific. Yeah. It's not hysterical media. And no matter how hard they try, they will never be observed as an example of God's standard of holiness that they claim they are. There's a lot more about the Kingston group in this book, but there's just too much to talk <laughs> about it all here. And we would like to use the rest of the time um, to quickly mention some of the other polygamous communities that he writes about. One of them is the True and Living Church, which is also known as the Harmston Group headquartered in Manti, Utah, and Jim Harmston founded the group. He has since passed away, and he also most certainly was met by the only true and living God <laughs> that he denied. The author talked to different members of this polygamy group, and one of them said this. Joseph Smith received divine visitation by John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John, who were resurrected as angels and came in person to give him the priesthood. Our authority stems from similar angelic ministrations to our prophet and leader, Jim Harmston. Well, they consider Harmston as great of equal standing as Joseph Smith. Again, it's always Joseph Smith. Why is they don't even use Jesus as any... No. I mean, I'm glad they don't because they would lie about him too. But, but I mean, who is this man? This... And they're anyway. putting up Jim Harmston as equal to, to Joseph Smith. Yeah. He, in other words, he's that great. Yeah. And four angels came and instructed, this is on page 261, four angels came and instructed him that they were to be referred to as Moses, Enoch, Abraham, and Noah, four of the grand patriarchs of the Old Testament. This was November of 1990. He was taken into a room which was totally light everywhere, and these four men, who all had looked the same but had distinct identities, they came from the four corners and laid their hands on his head. And as we see in all these Mormon-based religions, religious groups, they ignore Hebrews chapter 1, <laughs> yeah. which warns us that things like this just don't happen in these days. And we quote. Oh, such a good verse. <laughs> in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So in the past means before Jesus. Yep. Means before Old Testament times, in, or during Old Testament times. God spoke through prophets in various ways. But now, it says, he speaks to us only through Jesus Christ. There are no modern-day prophets to mediate between humans and God. Noah and Adam and people don't go around visiting others as angels. There's no visitations of Old Testament characters to bring us messages. The Bible warns us that the dead do not return. All we need to know has already been revealed. And because Jesus Christ is the Word of God, we can find out everything we need to know by reading His Word. That makes it very simple for everyone, all on an equal level, so that they won't be deceived. We don't have to guess because God has made it plain enough for all of us. 
Men who have claimed to have spiritual experiences, angelic visions, or so-called impressions from God are imposters. They contradict each other and the Bible. In chapter 12, uh, our author writes about Christopher Namelka, who also <laughs> had many <laughs> of these spiritual experiences, yeah. and he calls him the Walmart John the Baptist. Namelka is just another Mormon-inspired, self-appointed prophet who claims to receive revelation from God and visitations from heavenly beings. There is an application to him perfectly fits, which Jeremiah the prophet wrote. Yeah, Jeremiah 14, 14, and 23, 16. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And that is something that we should all remember. Remember we talked about yeah. the last show, Test the Spirits, because yeah, not all spirits or spirit visitations are from God. Well, chapter 13 introduces who the author calls Apocalypse Bob, who is also from a polygamy group called The Rock. Yes, they carve their homes out of rocks in the mountain, and they're waiting for the apocalypse. They, like many other Mormons and Mormonism, have been expecting the return of Christ, and when they, which they believe, this group believes that Jesus will come and destroy all their enemies and place their group above every other religion on the planet. One of Apocalypse Bob's experiences is described on page three hundred and thirty-six. He started hearing the voices when he was 18. They told him to live polygamy or be damned, but he didn't heed them at first. The religious experiences, however, kept coming. The first time I felt the Holy Ghost, he says, the whole house looked like it was a raging fire. I thought it was going up in smoke. Remember when Moses saw the bush burning violently but not being consumed? That's the spiritual fire they're talking about. It purifies. You need that fire, otherwise nothing's active. You need to go through the gate. Bob believes most polygamists today are deficient in both fire and gate categories. You can't make this stuff <laughs> no, up. No, you can't. He totally misuses Moses and the burning bush story. Absolutely, totally misuses it. And there is nothing in God's word that tells us to beware of deficiencies in the fire and gate categories. I've never even heard of that one before. No, I and finally, we have to quote what Apocalypse Bob said about his visit to the throne room in heaven. This is quite a vision. We were out on a little planet near Kolob, which is the greatest of all the suns in our galaxy, he explains. There was a beautiful, a splendid room of columns and pillars in which a beautiful angelic man showed him parchments, a man so heavenly Bob didn't dare even look at him. It wasn't Jesus, just one of the high ones. And to this day, I can't remember one single thing I read off those parchments. Now, I had to question when I read that, so why did he have the experience if he didn't learn anything he from didn't it? didn't learn anything. God doesn't do that. That's <laughs> not how he works. There was no purpose for it. And so it goes with these priesthood-holding polygamous men who seem to be hearing from God, instructing them to live polygamy. And we can know that they didn't hear from God because God has prohibited polygamy, and he has no exceptions to the prohibition, and he doesn't contradict himself. The Bible is clear. If any man calls himself a prophet, even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel, 
the prophet and the gospel he preaches are both eternally condemned. Read Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. As we always say, it's your eternal salvation. You need to check out what you believe and why you believe it. <laughs> and as, as we've talked through this, um, I, I just want to say we are not making fun of polygamists. We, we wouldn't even be doing what we're doing if we didn't uh, care for the people. Actually, you have a great heart for them. Love them. I, I, yeah, we well, we both do. You wouldn't be right. doing what you're doing either right. if you didn't love the Mormon people. And but but it's the the leadership knows that that they're doing and they're deceitful. They know it. The yeah. the leaders of the LDS Church, the leaders of it's the sad. polygamy groups, know that yeah. they're leading the people astray, yeah. and yet they continue to do it. Um, and so we just want you to know that if if you if anyone has any questions, we're not here to make fun of you. We are here to help you all we can through biblical truths. Do you think any of the uh, apologetics uh, ladies ever read the book, or were they aware of when it finally was published? These I, you know, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I know the two propaganda minister ladies that propaganda. he talked to, I have met both of them. I know who they I know who they are. And one of them was at the safety net committee meeting that I went to one time and they were spouting all this stuff about the Kingston group and I just wanted to stand up and say you know that's not true. I mean, they would know it wasn't true sure. because one of them had been severely abused by her, many times by yeah. her husband. So it's just sad that they're, they're manipulated. they happen to read what he wrote because it know. seems like a fair I suspect they would at least read part of it. At least their own interviews. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. But we just, we just have to urge you to check it out. Check, check out what you believe and why you believe it. And, and check outside, out, you know, <laughs> sources outside of your group. And, and as many people say, and I will say it, I will repeat it from, from other people, read the Bible, open up the New Testament and read it. And just read it through childlike eyes and ask God to show you His truth. He will. Whether you accept it or not is another story, but we highly suggest you do. Thanks, Earl. You bad doors. Thank Thanks you. Thanks again. Yep. You know, Mormonism, including Mormon fundamentalists, have removed themselves so far from orthodox biblical truths that, that they cannot even be recognized as in any way as followers of the biblical Jesus Christ. They have replaced or added to God's Word, changed the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, and they do this in the name of modern and continuing revelation, which is actually nothing more than the imaginations of power-hungry men eager to have a following of people who willingly give them all their worldly assets in the name of a God who has no resemblance to the only God who has revealed Himself in the Bible. One LDS leader admitted they had no foundation for their beliefs, but he said the people needed us, so we'll just keep doing what we're doing. No, the people do not need them. They need God. They need truth. They need Jesus. They do not need the Mormon church or a false prophet or a modern prophet, another seer and revelator or a church system to guide them. All they need is Jesus. All anyone needs is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. 
More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.